Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Cluster B personality disorders are characterized by dramatic, overly emotional, and unpredictable thoughts and behavior. From Ars Longa Media, this is Cluster B, scientifically informed, expert insights into the four Cluster B personality types, antisocial, borderline, narcissistic, and histrionic personality disorder. Here's today's host, Dr. Todd Grande. Hello, this is Dr. Grande. Today's question is, what are some treatment strategies we see for borderline personality disorder? When we talk about borderline personality disorder, we're talking about a cluster B personality disorder in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. And we know that treatment of borderline personality disorder can be particularly challenging due to some of the properties and characteristics associated with the disorder. We know, for example, some of the symptoms of borderline personality disorder typically include impulsivity, suicidal gestures or ideation identity disturbance, interpersonal difficulties, frantic efforts to avoid abandonment, and other factors that could interfere with the delivery of effective treatment. So to answer this question about potential treatment strategies, I'm going to be using an article published in 2015 by McMain and colleagues, where they really looked at the literature and found particular treatment strategies which have been found to be effective or somewhat effective. So these are really treatment strategies that in theory would work across a variety of different treatment modalities. Now, we know with borderline personality disorder that individual talk therapy treatment, psychotherapy, can be effective in a number of instances, but no single modality has really stood out as being more effective than other modalities. So it's important when we review strategies that we know where those strategies are going to work in terms of modality placement. The strategies in this article were really designed to work across all the modalities, as I mentioned. When we think of factors that are common across many modalities, of course, one of the first things we think of is the therapeutic relationship. And a lot of times when we talk about the therapeutic relationship, we specifically are talking about the therapeutic alliance, which is how the client and the therapist rate the quality of that therapeutic relationship. A strong therapeutic alliance is a good predictor of treatment outcomes and of retention in therapy. And we know that the treatment alliance accounts for more variance in the outcome of treating borderline personality disorder than any other single variable. So a number of the strategies here are really looking at how the therapeutic alliance can be enhanced. Now, specifically in relation to the therapeutic alliance, we know that there are specific challenges in treating borderline personality disorder. The interpersonal relationship difficulty and the emotional dysregulation really put a strain on developing a therapeutic alliance. We know that with borderline personality disorder, the therapeutic alliance tends to develop more slowly, it's not stable, and it's difficult to maintain. And again, we think this is because of that emotional dysregulation component, as well as impulsivity and the difficulties with interpersonal relationships. One of the major factors here is countertransference. So this is when the therapist behaves in an unhelpful manner toward the client. And this can be something that's in conscious awareness or outside conscious awareness. But either way, we know that countertransference 
is typically thought of as destructive. And a lot of feelings can come up for the therapist when treating a client with borderline personality disorder, like anger, feeling overwhelmed, confused, anxious, and even pessimistic and hopeless in some instances. These feelings are, of course, part of countertransference, and they can lead to behavior like refusing to treat individuals with borderline personality disorder or limiting the treatment to so many sessions, fewer sessions than would be indicated normally. Welcome to the Bravery Academy. My name is Emma Ferris and I'm your host. This podcast is crafted to share the stories of courageous individuals who've overcome adversity and found the courage to live their best lives. We'll explore the science of well-being, courage and connection and interview top thought leaders, game changers and survivors. And it's from these stories that we learn what resilience is, how to heal, how to recover and how to be brave. Now in the study I'm referencing, the authors identified five strategies. Again, most of them related to keeping the therapeutic alliance stable and building that therapeutic alliance. Now this article is not a typical type of article that I would review, meaning there's no experimental property to this article. It's really an article that looks at a lot of the different literature that has been written over the years about strategies to build the therapeutic alliance for borderline personality disorder. The first strategy is cultivating emotional awareness. So what this means is that there is an increase in awareness and acceptance of the client and the client's feelings. And the idea here is that it lowers the negative reactions by the therapist toward the client. So this specific strategy would help with lowering countertransference. Using a strategy like this would have the therapist maintaining an inquiring and open stance throughout therapy. The second strategy is structuring treatment. And I find this to be an interesting inclusion in this article because I think a lot of times this is a lost skill. This is considered sometimes by counselors and other clinicians to be perfunctory. And really it's a bunch of paperwork, but it's actually fairly important to structure therapy. And this is really structuring the treatment overall, not the type of structuring that would be specific to certain types of cognitive behavioral therapy, for example, where each session is structured. This is looking at the big picture. Sometimes this is referred to as setting ground rules. And again, I think this is really critical when treating borderline personality disorder or really any mental disorder. So the elements established here in these ground rules would be the frequency and length of sessions, the duration of treatment overall, the cost, which I think is an issue that a lot of therapists are uncomfortable talking about, the outside contact rules. For example, if a clinician is walking through the mall and runs into a client, what are the boundaries? What's going to happen there? Does the clinician look down and keep walking? Do they make eye contact and smile, but not say anything else? Those type of situations, those situations outside of therapy really have to be talked about inside of therapy. Also, scheduling issues need to be discussed with this particular strategy, including any type of vacation on the part of the client or the clinician. The third strategy here is therapist responsiveness. And this really has to do with the communication style and the attitude of the clinician. Now, the fourth strategy is supervision and team involvement. And I think that this team involvement was really included because of a specific modality called dialectical behavior therapy. This is one modality that has been shown to be effective with borderline personality disorder, but it's not more effective than other treatments. So I have another video where I talk about DBT and some of its strengths and weaknesses, but here I'm just going to be talking really about supervision rather than team involvement. 
Now, there are some other modalities where team involvement would be appropriate and necessary, but for the majority of clinicians, supervision would be what they'd really be looking at here. So what supervision does is allows the clinician to talk to another clinician who's trained to be a supervisor, and that clinician can use that relationship to help manage current transference, to remain competent, to bring effective strategies into treatment. So really, there are a lot of advantages to supervision, and I think in particular, a borderline personality disorder, it is risky to treat that disorder without regularly seeking supervision. The last strategy talked about in this article is exploring ruptures. Now, we know that when treating borderline personality disorder or any mental disorder, ruptures in the therapeutic alliance will occur from time to time. A lot of times with borderline personality disorder, we think of those ruptures as being more intense and occurring more frequently. So it's important to explore and resolve those ruptures and to make sure the timing is right. It would be difficult to approach a client about a rupture when the emotional arousal state is very high or when some other major stressor is occurring. We also wouldn't want this exploring of ruptures to dominate the time in sessions. We wouldn't want every session to be about trying to fix these ruptures. So this strategy really requires proper timing, sensitivity, and empathy to be effective. For more content like this, check out Healthy Toxic, another podcast from Ars Longa Media, all about what makes or breaks relationships, including issues related to narcissism, narcissistic abuse, and how personality disorders affect relationships. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. Learn more at ArsLonga.media. Hi there, I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardknowpodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard note.